to start with, I'm wondering, what picture do you have of Jesus? Perhaps it's a slightly dangerous picture. You know, I want to encourage, uh, I was just saying in the, in the group, like my picture of Jesus is kind of like white Anglo Western thing that I grew up with from my children's storybook Bible, which is probably completely inaccurate, but that just kind of sticks in my mind. But I'm wondering, what picture do you have of Jesus? Maybe uh, you think about Jesus as being a little bit like your personal life coach. You know, for the most part, you, you, li- you live your life by yourself, but every now and then you do like to check in with Jesus. You, know, you got to get a little bit of, a bit of encouragement from Jesus, a bit of advice from Jesus. Uh, perhaps you, you get to a crossroads in life and you, and you need some guidance for the next stage of life's journey. Jesus uh, is a bit like your personal life coach. Or perhaps you think about Jesus as a great moral teacher. Jesus has some wonderful things to say about how we should live. All that stuff about do to others as you'd have them to do to you. Hard to argue with that. Jesus is a great moral teacher. Perhaps you think about Jesus as a great example of personal sacrifice. Someone who was so deeply convinced of their convictions... Uh, that in the end they were willing to to be rejected and suffer and die for the sake of the cause. A a wonderful example of personal sacrifice. Maybe you think about Jesus uh, as one massive killjoy. I mean, it's increasingly common in our culture. Most people think, well, Christians, they seem to be against just about everything that's pleasurable and satisfying. Uh, Therefore, Jesus must be kind of in the same sort of boat. One massive killjoy. Or maybe you think about Jesus as the founder of a religion. And actually you're kind of into that because you kind of appreciate things like sacred spaces and cathedrals and candles and stained glass windows and incense. And if you were at our church service last week, you're lamenting the fact that there's not a nice stained glass window to look at this week. Because you kind of, you know, you kind of like all the trappings of religion. I wonder what picture you have of Jesus. And I wonder how you came to that picture. How, how did you form that picture of Jesus? Uh, perhaps you listened to uh, some person on YouTube. Because we all know uh, YouTube's the most reliable source for all information. And so uh, your picture of Jesus has been largely formed by videos on YouTube. Uh, perhaps, you, uh, perhaps you listen to your friends or your work colleagues or your lecturers at university or, or uh, the experts or at least so-called experts in that book that you bought. Uh, perhaps you just took your mum or dad's word for it. They always said this about religion or that about religion and you just kind of went along with them. I wonder if you've ever actually listened to Jesus though. Ever really listen to Jesus uh, by reading one of the biographies of Jesus' life uh, in the Bible, one of what uh, we as Christians call the Gospel? Uh, if you haven't done that, or even if you have, that's what I want to encourage to, you to do. That's what Adam and I want, you, uh, want to encourage you to do over these next few weeks, uh, over the coming weeks, as we look at this section of Matthew's Gospel. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus, because as you'll do that, you'll see that he's not just some life coach or or a great example of personal sacrifice. He's not just a great moral teacher. Uh, He's not just the the founder of some religion that has all these different trappings. Jesus uh, is the uh, Son of God. Uh, The Son of God, who we'll see in this passage, here come those S words. The Son of God, uh, you don't have to fill them all in right now, kids. The Son of God, who soothes our brokenness, who satisfies our hunger and who saves us from our unbelief. 
And that Jesus, the Son of God, is worthy of all our worship. Now that's what I want us to see from this passage. So first, let's have a look at the start of the passage, verses 13 and 14, and then the very end of the passage, verses 34 to 36, where we see that Jesus is the Son of God who soothes our brokenness. That's the first of the three S words, kids. If you want to fill it in on your sheet, Jesus is the Son of God who soothes our brokenness. Look at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened... Uh, He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Uh, Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So somehow Jesus hears a report of what Herod has said uh, back in verses 1 and 2. If you've got your Bible, you can look back in in verses 1 and 2. At verse 1 we see, uh, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So Jesus hears these reports. He hears that Herod is convinced that he is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that leads Jesus to kind of start to contemplate his own destiny. Because you remember, if you were here last week, that John the Baptist has recently, we don't know exactly the time frame here, but recently John the Baptist has been imprisoned and beheaded by King Herod. So the implication is, what's Herod going to do to Jesus if he's convinced that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead? So Jesus has got some stuff to think about. He's got to contemplate some things, contemplate his own destiny, as it were, which he knows is headed to suffering and ultimately to death on the cross. So Jesus is keen for some alone time, some time of prayer. And you know that because look at verse 13 again. Look at the words in verse 13. Matthew tells us that Jesus withdraws. He goes away. And he goes away privately, we're told. He goes away on his own. This is supposed to be alone time for Jesus. He goes away on his own. Where? Not to a busy place, but to a solitary place. Out to a deserted place, a wilderness place. It's very clear that Jesus wants some time to himself. But the crowds are flocking to him. Either they hear that Jesus is headed across the lake on a boat, and so the crowds run around on land, and presumably the kind of lake's not that much, not so big that they couldn't keep track or at least know where Jesus was going to land with his disciples. And so he gets to the other side, and the crowds are just there to meet him. Now, let me ask you how do you think you would respond if you were Jesus? Now let me tell you, if I've had a really hard day, you know, you, you have a, a hard day, uh, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling stressed, uh, nothing seems to have gone right, uh, and all day, I don't know if you ever do this, but certainly uh, all day, sometimes I'm looking forward to that moment at the end of the day, the kids are in bed, and I'm thinking, I'm going to sit down on the couch, uh, I'm going to uh, like watch that NBA game that I've been kind of avoiding the scores of it all day, so I'm going to sit down tonight, I'm going to watch that NBA game, I'm going to have a nice drink, uh, and it's going to be wonderful, and you know how it goes, you, you, you sit down down on the on the couch uh, the cat's whining at the back door Felix wakes up he's screaming Ada and Charlie are still stuffing around upstairs and they were supposed to be asleep ages ago you know the the phone rings the the text messages are going off and let me tell you I'm not filled with that much compassion in that moment not a whole lot of empathy so praise God that Jesus is a lot more godly than me look at verse 14 
when Jesus uh, landed and saw the large crowd, uh, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Compassion. Uh, I said before that that word compassion is the Greek word splunkma. It's a great word. Splunkma. It's a word for intestines, for bowels. So it's a real kind of like, it's saying Jesus sees that the brokenness and sickness of these crowds, and he has this kind of gut-wrenching feeling in the pit of his stomach. This is no small kind of trivial thing. Jesus is moved by the brokenness and sickness of this crowd. So what does he do? Well, he heals them. Jesus had his own agenda. He really did want some time to himself, some time to reflect, some time to contemplate, but he sets that aside to soothe the brokenness of this crowd. And notice how easy it is for Jesus. He doesn't have to perform any tests. There's no surgery here. There's no waiting rooms. There's no complex diagnostic procedures. There's no extended programs of therapy. Jesus simply heals these people. We see the same thing at the end of the passage. If you look down uh, in verse uh, 35, Jesus has crossed back across the lake. uh, And we read there, when the men of that place uh, recognized Jesus, uh, they sent word to all the surrounding country. Uh, People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the amazing thing, right? Sometimes people, people today, this is a little bit of a tangent, but sometimes people today say, oh, they've got a healing ministry. And typically, in my experience, people who say they've got a healing ministry, there's a massive song and dance about it, isn't it? It feels like a big song, and no song and dance here, no magic shows, no kind of special lotions and potions or anointed oil or whatever it is. People just have to touch the cloak of Jesus, and they're healed. Why is it that Jesus has such incredible power to heal people? Because he's the Son of God. He's the Son of God through whom and for whom absolutely everything was created. So he has authority over all things, authority over the physical body. As the one who created the laws of nature, Jesus is absolutely free to break the laws of nature. He's not bound by the laws of nature. He's free to heal and restore and soothe the brokenness of his world. So notice the wonderful balance kind of in this passage when we think about our own suffering and brokenness. It's important to notice here that Jesus is not indifferent to your brokenness. He's not apathetic to your brokenness. Sometimes we might think, sure, Jesus is able to heal me, but he just doesn't care enough to heal me. But that's not true. Jesus sees the brokenness of this crowd and he's filled with compassion. Jesus is moved by your brokenness. He cares about your brokenness. He's not indifferent to it and he's not powerless in the face of your brokenness. That's the other extreme. Sometimes we might think, oh sure, Jesus cares about my brokenness, but he's not able to do anything about it. But that's not right. These verses assure us that Jesus can do something about it. I'm not saying he'll definitely do something about it now or next week, but Jesus will heal you. He's able to heal you in the end. Because Jesus is the Son of God who has the power to soothe all brokenness, to soothe your brokenness, and not just to soothe it. If I come to you and you're broken and you're suffering, I can soothe you by offering you a box of tissues. 
Well, that's nice. But Jesus can soothe you by, by offering complete physical restoration. Right? Why would you not want to worship this Jesus? Now, the one who will one day soothe all brokenness. That's the first S. Uh, it's time for the second S on your sermon sheet, kids. Listen up. Verses 15 to 21, we see that Jesus is the Son of God uh, who satisfies our hunger. He soothes our brokenness and he satisfies our hunger. So last week, if you were here, Adam preached on verses 1 to 12. And you might remember that as a part of that passage, there was a banquet that Herod put on. And in this passage, we've got another banquet, a very different banquet. The host of this banquet is Jesus, not King Herod. Uh, the venue is out in the wilderness, not in some royal palace. Uh, the invitation goes out to absolutely everyone who's present, not uh, just to a kind of a, a select uh, social elite. Uh, and the purpose of this banquet uh, is to feed the hungry crowds, not to feed the hungry ego of the host. So Matthew puts this banquet here next to the Herod's banquet as a deliberate contrast, uh, to contrast the kingdom of Jesus with the kingdom of the world. Uh, so let's look at the banquet in verse 15. Uh, the disciples, uh, they're getting a bit worried because they think that Jesus' compassion for the crowds uh, is going to create a logistical nightmare. You know, like They're kind of like, look, it's nice that you care for the crowds, but what's going to happen? How are we going to feed them? Right, here they are. They're out in this remote place. Uh, remember, remote place is solitary place, wilderness place. Uh, and the disciples say it's getting late uh, and there are thousands of people getting hungry. How many people? Well, look in verse 21. Uh, we're told, Matthew tells us, there's 5,000 men here. In this day and age, they tended to count crowds by the number of men. I mean, like, including women and children, there's probably like 15 or, or even 20,000 people. I don't know how, you know, how, much, how many kids they had back then, but like, you're talking a very large crowd of people. Uh, so the disciples say, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, I reckon that seems totally reasonable. Right, that, that's a very, very sound plan. Right, and now, no, notice uh, again that, that, that Matthew does say that they're in the wilderness. Right, clearly, it's not so remote that there aren't villages nearby that the, the people could go and buy some food from. But, but Matthew does want us to know that Jesus and this crowd are in a remote place, a, a wilderness place. Oh, but look at verse 16. Rather than uh, affirming the disciples' seemingly reasonable plan, uh, Jesus says, well, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You can picture the disciples, can't you? Look at one another. That's, that's impossible. You're crazy, Jesus. All we've got here is five loaves and two fish. There's no way we can feed this number of people. Which, of course, is exactly the point. Right? The only way that the disciples can obey Jesus' command uh, is if Jesus performs a miracle. Uh, but it's very clear in this miracle that Jesus wants his disciples involved. Look at verse 18. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, Bring the loaves and the fish that you have to me. Uh, bring the little that you have to me. I, I just uh, This is a little bit of a tangent as well, but... Uh, it's actually, a, I think, a wonderful picture of what it's like to serve Jesus, um, what it's like to be in ministry for Jesus. Jesus says to us, uh, just bring the little that you have to me. You know? 
Bring your little bit of energy, your small ideas, your small skills, your small amount of gifts. Bring the little that you have to me and I'll do great things with it. Don't stress about it. You don't have to bring great things to me. Just bring the little that you have to me and I'll do more than you could ever ask or imagine. That right there, Jesus is teaching his disciples, this is what it means to be one of my disciples, to follow me. You, you bring the little that you have, which is really next to nothing, and I'll do wonderful things with it. Right, it's a massive encouragement. Jesus says, uh, bring what you have here to me. Uh, and verse 19, Jesus takes control of the situation. And he directs the crowds uh, to sit down on the grass. And if you read uh, the kind of parallel account in Mark's Gospel, uh, Mark adds that he directs the crowds to sit down on the grass in groups of hundreds and fifties. Which is interesting to note, uh, not just because it's, oh, that's good logistics, you know, it's a sound principle, you know, break up the crowd. No, it's because back in Exodus, uh, after God rescued his people Israel from Egypt, they were wandering. Where were they wandering? They were wandering in a remote place, a wilderness place. And Moses, and God directed Moses to arrange Israel into groups of hundreds and fifties so that when the bread came down from heaven, they could all eat and be satisfied. Uh, so it's interesting that there's kind of logistics of how the people ought to be arranged. Once again, we've got this connection to God and his people in the wilderness. Uh, so Jesus gives thanks to God for the food uh, and it's distributed to the crowns. And once again, Jesus involves his disciples. Right? How is the food distributed? It's distributed by the disciples. Jesus clearly could have fed this crowd himself. He could have kind of, I don't know, zapped the loaves up and sent them out in some kind of amazing feat, right? But instead, he does it in just normal way with his disciples distributing it. He wants his disciples uh, to, to, to have their faith strengthened, to, to have this first-hand experience of his incredible power, his miraculous power. So the food's distributed, and you see there that they all ate and were satisfied. Are they everyone in this crowd ate? Right here, it's an open and inclusive invitation. It's a sign that, that absolutely anyone can come to Jesus and put their faith in Him. Anyone can do that. They all ate, and they all ate and were satisfied. Which is to say that anyone who comes to Jesus in humble faith. Uh, will find a deep and lasting satisfaction that can never be taken away. And it can never be taken away because Jesus' uh, ability to keep satisfying the, the hungers of your soul is never going to run out. He's clearly got enough supply. You see there, uh, is, there's 12 baskets of leftovers. Right, the, the, the 12 there reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel or, or the 12 apostles. Uh, the point being that Jesus uh, is amply, is able to uh, abundantly satisfy the needs of his people. He's got no shortage of supply. He can provide for all the needs of his people. Oh, so that, that's the miracle. What's the purpose of the miracle? Well, why does Jesus do this? Right? Because clearly the crowds could have just gone to a village and bought some food. Why does he do this miracle? Well, I think all those allusions to the wilderness in this passage, they tell us that Jesus does this miracle to reveal himself as the Son of God. That's why he does the miracle. And this crowd here is predominantly Jewish. Uh, next week, or is it, no, the, the week after next, we'll come across uh, another feeding uh, of a crowd that's predominantly Gentile. 
non-Jewish. But this crowd's predominantly Jewish, and so they would have known their Old Testament, uh, and they would have known that uh, when Israel was in the wilderness, God fed them with bread from heaven. Right? You can read about it in Exodus chapter 16. For, for example, Exodus 16, uh, I'll just read from verse 17. God's given instructions about how this bread's going to come down from heaven. And then in verse 17, uh, we're told that the Israelites did as they were told. Uh, Some gathered much bread and some little. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as uh, as they needed. Well, the point is that when Israel was in the wilderness, God satisfied their hunger by miraculously providing bread from heaven. Likewise, here, Jesus' people are in the wilderness and he satisfies their hunger by miraculously providing bread from heaven. Well, we're not told it comes from heaven, but it's miraculously provided. That's the picture. Matthew is telling us that Jesus is God. That's what he was telling us. He's telling us Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the Son of God who took on flesh. We just remember that at Christmas, right? The the incarnate Son of God uh, who's able to satisfy the hunger of his people. Uh, Maybe uh, some of you remember those Snickers ads from years ago. Those Snickers ads and the tagline was, you're just not yourself when you're hungry, Snickers satisfies. And, you know, the ad typically had someone uh, who was acting kind of completely nuts, kind of completely abnormal, subhuman almost. Uh, The one that sticks in my mind is that guy, well, it's kind of like the old woman who's playing rugby or soccer or something and uh, kind of going nuts. Then he eats a Snickers and he becomes kind of a 30-something guy. Like, uh, so the, the message of the ad is that the only thing that can kind of satisfy your hunger and restore your humanity is to eat a Snickers bar. You know, Snickers satisfies. And I don't mind a Snickers bar. They are quite satisfying when I'm hungry. But we do know, don't we, that even though a Snickers might satisfy you for a moment, uh, it won't satisfy you forever. Right? You will get hungry again. And in fact, even this crowd that Jesus feeds is going to get hungry again. But the physical bread that Jesus provides for them won't satisfy them forever. And this is the nature of being a human being, isn't it? We're all stuck in in this constant cycle of physical hunger. Why is that? Why didn't God make it so that we could just kind of eat once and then not eat again? Well, because he wants to remind us that we're dependent on him, not just for our physical needs, but for our spiritual needs. This constant cycle of physical hunger is a signpost to our even deeper spiritual hungers. Now the hungers we all have, our hunger for, for a life with real purpose, for a life with a deeper meaning, for a life uh, where we've found a sense of freedom, a life with real forgiveness for all the things we've done, a life where we've found someone or something that, that satisfies the deep hungers of our soul. And the point of this miracle is that those hungers can only be satisfied in knowing Jesus. They can only be satisfied in knowing Jesus. That's why in John chapter 6, the crowds say to Jesus, oh, I'll read a bit of a chunk. If you've got a Bible, you can flick to John chapter 6. This is John's account of this feeding. John chapter 6 from verse 30. The crowds say to Jesus, What miraculous sign then will you give 
uh, that we may see and believe you. What will you do? And they reference the wilderness. Our, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said to them, I I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, uh, but it is my Father who who has given you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God uh, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowds are like, give me a piece of that. Yes, sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. The bread sent uh, uh, by the Father, the Son of God, sent from heaven to earth by God his Father. It's only in knowing and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ that the deepest hungers of your soul will be satisfied. And you say, well, how committed is Jesus to satisfying the deepest hungers of my soul? Well, he's very committed you know, in, in, the, in the story in Matthew's Gospel, the hunger of the crowd is only satisfied because Jesus breaks the bread and it's distributed. And the deepest hungers of your soul, a hunger for forgiveness and purpose and, and, and meaning and honour, the deepest hungers of your soul are only satisfied because the, the body of the true bread from heaven was broken on the cross. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. Broken, the, the deepest hungers of your soul would be satisfied. That's how committed Jesus is to bringing you this deep and lasting satisfaction that only comes from knowing him. Why would you not worship this Jesus? The Son of God, who's able to soothe your brokenness, who's able to satisfy your deepest hunger. Or maybe you still don't believe. You know, I think I'm being pretty persuasive, but maybe you've still got a few doubts. You should keep listening because, and, and kids, tune in if you've been just, you know, colouring in a picture or something. It's time for the third S word, right? Jesus soothes our brokenness, satisfies our hunger. Uh, third, verses 22 to 32, Jesus is the Son of God who saves us from our unbelief. So in verse 22, uh, we see that uh, once everyone's eaten and they're satisfied, Jesus sends them away. You know, sort of after dinner mints or tea and coffee, you know, um, he sends them away and he even wants his disciples to go. Remember, Jesus came here for some alone time. He still wants that time. And interestingly, uh, I was saying to some people, anyway, I'll include this. What time is it? Yeah, we've got time. Um, I think, you know, some people would read the start of the passage and they would feel, they'd kind of, by temperament, resonate with Jesus. They were like, he wanted alone time, but he set aside his plans because he was overcome with compassion. And so he spends himself for the sake of the crowds. They're like, that's what I've got to do all the time. It's never appropriate for me to set any personal boundaries. It's never appropriate for alone time or contemplation or introspection. I've just got to meet the needs of anyone who comes across my path because that's what Jesus is like. But what about this verse? Jesus dismisses the crowds and his disciples and goes away to pray by himself. What does he go away to pray about? He goes away to pray about the fact that his destiny is the cross. You see, Jesus could have gone around day in, day out, feeding the hungry and healing the sick and, and caring for the poor. He could have done that 
all around the world for as long as he wanted to, but he knew that the real reason why he had come was to give his life for sin on the cross. Sin, which is the real cause of all the brokenness in the world. So Jesus had no issues setting some personal boundaries and taking some time to contemplate and pray. So that's what he does. He goes up, verse 23. Uh, he heads up this mountain for a time of prayer. And while he's doing that, uh, his disciples start rowing back across the lake. Uh, and it's not going well for them, is it? You, you can see there that they've been struggling, rowing for several hours, that they're being battered around by the wind, making virtually no progress at all. Uh, so in the early hours of the morning, uh, Jesus uh, does what any of, us, any of us would do. Verse 25, he walks out to them on the water. That's what, uh, no, sorry, okay. Uh, no, typically, uh, Jesus uh, literally walks out on top of the water. Now, of course, lots of people have issues with this, uh, as if anyone could ever do that, you know, walking on water. Uh, and I get that. It is not overly common. Uh, but <laughs> consider at least two things. Uh, first, uh, consider the fact that Jesus' disciples also have their doubts about this. Either the disciples are terrified and the only explanation that they can come up with is that Jesus is a ghost. It's important to notice that. Sometimes people say, well sure Jesus' disciples believed he walked on water because they were uneducated and stupid. You know, we, we've got modern science. We understand that no one can walk on water these days, but they were bound to believe in miracles of people walking on water. But no, they didn't, because in their day, believe it or not, people still didn't go around walking on water that often, right? It wasn't, this was a miracle. The only explanation they could come up with was that Jesus was a ghost. They didn't think automatically, oh, that's Jesus physically walking on water. So that's important to notice. And second, uh, consider the fact that uh, Jesus walking on water is only really an issue if your default kind of paradigm is that Jesus can only be a human being. If you're open to the possibility that Jesus is God, which I think rationally speaking you can't really disprove, like using some sort of logical argument, I say if you're open to the possibility that Jesus is God, then there's no real issue here, is there? If there is a God and he created all things, he created the laws of nature, as I said earlier, he's free to, he's not bound by the laws of nature. He's free to walk around on the water that he created if he wants to. So that's just a couple of thoughts. And actually, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is God. And I think he, wants, he helps us to see that in two main ways. Uh, the first way he helps us to see it is that Jesus does what only God can do. So Jesus walking on water is actually an allusion to a passage in the Old Testament. Uh, Job chapter 9, Job chapter 9 verses 8 and 11 uh, Job says, God alone stretches out the heavens and God alone treads on the waves of the sea. And when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Right, Matthew's telling us Jesus is God because he does what only God can do. Only God can tread on the waves of the sea, Matthew says. Job says. Now, of course, Job admits that uh, just as he kind of couldn't perceive God's glory, so also Jesus' disciples here really can't fully perceive his glory. Why don't they just see him as a ghost? But Matthew wants you to see Jesus' glory. 
He wants you to see that Jesus is God because he's doing what only God can do. Uh, and second, he wants you to see that Jesus is God uh, because he takes the name that only God can take. He does what only God can do and he takes the name that only God can take. Look at verse 27. Jesus says to his disciples, Take courage, it is I. It is I. Right, those words, it is I, it's a kind of Greek phrase, ego, me simply means I am, which is significant in, in the big story of the Bible. Because that, that's identical to the name that God, gave it to himself, uh, that God gave to himself when he was speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, we're actually going to preach on this later in the year, but Exodus 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Uh, then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it, I am is ego amu. Same as Matthew. Right, Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus does what only God can do and he takes the name that only God can take. And Peter starts to get it, doesn't he? Peter, verse 28, uh, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me and I'll come out to you on the water. That's what Jesus says. Yes, you come out, Peter. Uh, and Peter starts walking on the water. Uh, it's an incredible display of faith, really. But it is very short-lived. In verse 30, uh, Peter starts focusing on the power of the wind and the waves more than Jesus' power, and he starts to sink. You see there, and he cries out, Lord, save me, uh, and Jesus does save him. Right? He kind of plucks, Jesus out, uh, plucks Peter out of the water, uh, and they get up on the boat. Uh, and Jesus says to Peter uh, something a little strange. I mean, I, does this seem jarring to you? <laughs> you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, it does seem a bit harsh. I mean, Peter's had a decent crack there. Uh, but you remember the context, right? They've just seen Jesus heal crowds of sick people. What is it that displays Jesus' complete authority over creation? And then they've just seen Jesus feed thousands of people, displaying his complete authority over creation. And so Jesus is saying, oh, what are you doing? Like, have you got any real reason to doubt my authority over the wind and the waves in this situation? No, you don't. If you were really applying your faith in this situation, you would have no doubts at all. That's Jesus' point. Oh, but Peter did have his doubts, and we have our doubts too. In fact, I, I think Peter gives us a pretty good picture of ourselves, stumbling along in faith, often a kind of messy mix of belief and unbelief. And so I just want you to notice briefly two aspects of how Jesus relates to people like us, to people like Peter. On the one hand, uh, Jesus does want your little faith to grow. Right? He wants your little faith to grow. He wants you to trust him in, in all the different circumstances of your life. He wants you to apply your, your past experiences of his love and his power and his goodness uh, to the present and future circumstances that you come across. Right? He does actually want your faith to grow and get stronger in any number of different situations. Uh, but he'll still save you even if you've got a little faith. 
Right? So he wants your little faith to grow, but he'll save you even with a little faith. Right, please be assured of that. Be assured that if you cry out to Jesus like Peter with your little faith saying, Lord, please save me, he will save you. He'll pluck you out of all your doubts and confusion and despair and save you to be with him forever. So Jesus wants your little faith to grow, uh, but he'll still save you with your little faith. So in verse 33, the disciples get it. Look at verse 33. I think this is kind of the climactic moment of this passage. The disciples get it. They worship Jesus, Matthew tells us, uh, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God. That's the key point of this passage. Matthew wants you to worship Jesus because your eyes have been opened to the fact that he's the Son of God. So I wonder what picture you have of Jesus I hope as you've looked at this passage and maybe as we look at Matthew's Gospel in the coming weeks, you'll see that Jesus is not just a life coach or a great moral teacher or an example of personal sacrifice. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the Son of God who took on flesh, the Son of God who in his deep compassion soothes our brokenness, satisfies our hunger and saves us from our unbelief. And I think if you see Jesus like that, as he really is, Uh, you won't have any trouble at all worshipping him. Joining these disciples in saying, truly, he is the Son of God. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this, your word. Uh, We thank you that through your word, uh, by the power of your spirit, uh, that you open blind eyes to see the glory of your Son. Uh, You open our eyes to see that he uh, is your Son who soothes our brokenness, who satisfies our hunger and who saves us from our unbelief. We praise you for our Lord Jesus, and we thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.